real reason underneath it is I think these awakened states are really important. I think spirituality has a massive role to play in the next evolutionary jump for humanity. And to be blunt, Jessica, I don't think spirituality is up to the job right now. I think science has just moved on, well, it's moving on every day at an extraordinary pace. Welcome to the Art of Humanity. I'm your host, Jessica Ann. This is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and your favorite entrepreneurs. You can explore creativity and consciousness, evolve your business with the art of humanity. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to episode 50 of the art of humanity. Thank you so much for tuning in to this season. The previous episodes with Eric Davis, Dr. Teresa Bullard, Noah Lampert have all been pretty groovy. Anyway, I've received so much amazing feedback on this season's launch, which is all about consciousness with a capital C. It was so nice to see this review from Gliffy in Apple Podcasts. He writes, Jessica Ann works hard to bring clarity to a variety of topics. She doesn't meander into boring cul-de-sacs, she brings fresh perspective and always subtly steers guests to use their expertise in a variety of areas to the general areas of what it means to be human. She is refreshingly grounded and pleasant and informative in areas you didn't know you needed to know about. What more could you ask of in a podcast? Thank you so much, Gliffy, for that review. In today's episode, I'm talking with someone who lives inside of the imagination, which he chases vigorously and stands by it. He's one of the most free thinkers out there today, and that says a lot. So let's get right into it. His ideas about epiphenomenal spirituality is getting him into trouble. He gave a TED Talk, which is on the verge of getting banned. So go check that out before it's officially obsolete. A link to his TED Talk, which you can find in the show notes on artofhumanity.io slash episodes. Today, I'm talking with Tim Freak, and in this interview, we discuss a revolutionary new philosophy called emergent spirituality, how emotions create your reality, and how the internet is an extension of our nervous system, and much more. If you like this podcast, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pod would mean the world to me. It takes a few seconds, so if you can go on over right now to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, I'll maybe even give you a shout out in my next episode. Here's episode 50 of season five, my interview with Tim Freak. To get all the links and show notes from this episode, go to artofhumanity.io slash episodes. Enjoy. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's a real pleasure. Tim, I just recently rewatched your most recent TED Talk. I actually watched it twice. (laughs) Nerd alert, (laughs) which is interestingly flagged right now, which we'll get into in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. I want to start with how you refreshingly address the soul crisis in modern culture that has arisen from a lack of meaning. You really offer an intelligent, spiritual perspective on life and death to help us make sense of a paradoxical world, which is sometimes bleak, but it can be also full of magic. So you're really creating a new model of human identity, and I think we can all speak to why a new model of human identity is important today, but I want to hear from you why this is so needed today and just get into your work a little bit. 
Well, in my book, Soul Story, which is my most recent book, and the book that I'm talking about in my TEDx talk that you mentioned, I start with this idea that we are experiencing a soul crisis. Now, I mean, I actually think that humanity has been doing pretty well on lots of things, but we've paid a price for it, and that we've become under the spell collectively of a rather bleak philosophy which sees the universe as a mechanical thing which can be reduced to its smallest and most meaningless components. And it's taken meaning away from life. And I don't just think that's bleak. I think it's wrong. And what I've looked for in myself is having spent my life exploring spirituality and specifically states of awakened consciousness. How can it be I live in a world in which, on the one hand, I can step into this world where life is numinous and magical and synchronicities happen and it feels like almost like life is a dream. And yet also I can see that the world that physics describes is also real. It's very cause and effect. It's so, so predictable we can land a satellite on a comet. Mm -hmm. So how can these stick together? And how can life be so beautiful on the one hand and so ugly and cruel on the other that some days it can seem so meaningful and static and at other times it can feel bleak and empty? And I've wanted to develop a worldview because it felt like the scientific worldview dealt nicely with the bleak and empty and the spiritual worldview kind of didn't look at any of that and presented a much more rosy picture. But the, what I wanted was something which could embrace them both and make sense of them both. Mm. I absolutely love this because so many times, you know, as a spiritual seeker, we glimpse this numinous, synchronistic, magical world. And then it's not based in a grounded reality. It's very different than the Earth, the physics that you speak of, landing a satellite on a comet, so to speak, reality. So can you talk us through a little bit about why you wanted to devote your life to philosophy, not just philosophy, but really integrating this new model of human consciousness into our reality today? Well, I guess the real reason underneath it is I think these awakened states are really important. I think spirituality has a massive role to play in the next evolutionary jump for humanity. And to be blunt, Jessica, I don't think Jessica's spirituality is up to the job right now. I think science has just moved on. Well, it's moving on every day at an extraordinary pace. But spirituality has been very stuck in the past. So you know, obviously there's some great things happening. I'm not trying to say it's all bleak or anything. But there is a tendency for it to get stuck in the past. So it's looking back always. Oh, they knew before. The ancients knew. But actually, the version of spirituality which we've had from the ancient world is quite bleak in itself. It sees life as a kind of a prison for the soul or an illusion to see through. Your very identity is a problem. You have to get rid of it. Your human nature, your attachments, your emotions, your desires, these are all bad things. But I don't feel that. From my experience of awakening, it embraces my humanity and it feels I'm waking up through my humanity. So my passion really is how can I develop a spirituality fit for the 21st century? And that must be able to speak. It must be intellectually robust, as well as pointing to this awakened state, which is fundamentally a state of enormous love, as well as having a big heart. It needs to be intellectually robust. And that means it must engage with the scientific paradigm, which has been so powerful and revealed so much. And the secret, I think, and this is the essence of the philosophy I've been developing I think is this modern myth we have of evolution, this story of evolution. I think that is the key to bringing science and spirituality together into one grand narrative, which can explain all of the paradoxes of our of our life. Mm, wow, <laughs> that's really something else. And I love how you say it. you're so blunt and you just say that spirituality is not up to the job. 
because I found personally in my journey that that's exactly what's missing. Like your work is central to the work that's needed in this world. This moment is a new moment. It's never happened before. Every moment is a new potential that's being realized. And in your work, you strive to see everything as the realization of potentiality of an ever more emerging level of being. And this that, is fascinating. It actually feel- gives us context for how to live in this modern day world without looking to the past, without looking to the ancient mysteries for the reasoning of why we're here today. Today doesn't ever so happen again. That's the underlying, my hypothesis, let me put it like that. The thing I'm playing with, I'm very attracted towards the simple, not the simplistic, but the elegant the thing where you can go, ah, oh, yeah, that's an idea which can expand out from a very simple base into something very complex. So here's the very simple idea that I'm playing with that underlies the whole thing, that what reality, what this thing we're in is, is the realization of potentiality. Now, that's a very, very old idea. And I've been playing with it in a spiritual form for decades. And the myth there, which goes right the way back into very early times, is often put as that life is like a dream, God is having a dream, and through the dream, God is realizing its nature. And so it's realizing itself through existence. So that's a very ancient spiritual myth. Now, with science, we've got this incredible modern understanding that the whole of the universe, the whole of the reality that we experience, has evolved over 13.8 billion years from very, very simple beginnings into what we experience today. It's gone from basically hydrogen and helium to you and me having this conversation. It's an incredible journey that we've been on. And it struck me that these are very similar ideas. And I wanted to get to the very essence of it. And the way it looked to me was like, well, what can we say about where the Big Bang has come from, where things came from? Well, one thing it feels like even a scientist can go along with, and I took this from an amazing scientist, Brian Swin, the cosmologist who lives in your area of the world. Mm -hmm. And he had this thought, which I picked up on many years ago, that what we can say existed before the universe is the potentiality for the universe, because that is a logical consequence. If it's come from that, that it was the potentiality for that. And so we can see the whole of this evolutionary journey as the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways. And as a philosopher, as a spiritual philosopher, the place I come back to is what I call present reality, which is what's happening to us now. So when I look at now, what I see, do this with me, Jessica, and anyone who's listening, do it with me. What I see is that every moment realizes a new potentiality. Mm. Every moment is something which hasn't happened before. And then there's something else I notice, and this is key for me in, in terms of the foundation of my philosophy is resting on a new conception of time. Because the other thing I notice is that every moment also contains within it everything that's happened before implicitly. So in this moment right now is you inviting me to be on your podcast, you coming across my work for the first time, me writing the book, oh, us getting born, of the evolution of the human species, of the development of our solar system, right the way back to the Big Bang. It's all implicit in this moment. If it wasn't, this moment would not be this moment. Mm -hmm. So the foundation for what I'm playing with here is that there is a flow of time happening. And in that flow of time, new potentialities are constantly realized based on everything that's been before. And the past hasn't gone anywhere. The past is actually not passing. It's accumulating. There's more and more and more and more of it. 
because there's more and more and more past, there's a tendency in this process of the realization of potentiality for things to evolve, to become more complex, richer. They can build on what's happened. Mm. And so the fundamental idea that I want to explore is that, is that we are in a universe in which we are realizing potentiality. And as you said, when you introduced this thought, you and I are part of that. This is not some abstract, dry, cold thing. It has led to us having this conversation. And in having this conversation, we are realizing new potentialities as we speak. Ooh, I'm getting full body chills. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. I love it. This brings me to the point of basing our present on the logical way, you know, knowing that we are in this space-time continuum and where we are in the same vortex of before the Big Bang happened and we're right here. And not to get too abstract and out there, how does that relate to what has come before? I know that you passionately disagree with Plato and Socrates, the mystic notions about them being in the imprisoned body of the material world. So how has their foundational understanding guided you to where you are today so that we can kind of take what has guided us here today in this very moment and bring that into our future potential? Sorry, Jessica, I want to get clear what you're saying there. You're saying how have they, with like with figures like Plato and Socrates and all the others, what it is about what they're saying that I agree or disagree with? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, I know that you don't agree with much of what they've said in the past. So when well, you... I tell you what, it's more like I think everything's evolving. Mm -hmm. So I think that spirituality also has to evolve. So here's what I think has happened. I think when spirituality first arose, it arose in, in with early shamanism. And that's because what the first thing that human beings started to experience was the psyche. Now, psyche is the Greek word. It just means soul. So let's be very clear here about where the process of evolution has led to. So it's led from basic matter, hydrogen, helium, through this incredible dance for 10 billion years, the physical universe evolved. And then we had the beginnings of simple life. And then all of the species of life have evolved. That's another three and a half billion years. And then it's led to us, who are these conscious beings, there's other conscious beings, of course, as well, but we are conscious beings, and we're experiencing something quite amazing, which is the psyche. And this is where you and I are talking now. We're talking in the psyche. And the psyche just means soul. So we're in the soul, just the Latin version for the Greek word. We can call it the mind or the imagination. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It's just being very clear that, oh, where this has ended up, is this experience we're having and a non-material. So the evolutionary journey has gone from simple matter to something not made of matter. And you can see that simply by, you know, if you think about any sentence I've said, it has a meaning. Well, the bit that's made of matter is the vibration of air and in our case, electronics and speakers and, and eardrums. But the meaning isn't in any of that. The meaning is information on a different level altogether. And the mere fact that this meaning can be encoded in both written words or spoken words or not in words at all, this is an, another level. So it's, it's gone from something very mechanical to something non-material and full of meaning, which is this realm of soul that we're in. The first thing that happens with human beings is they wake up to that realm of soul and find that it's huge and that there's a lot to explore in it. And that's where you get shamanism, which is very... Actually, it doesn't have a down on, on life. It doesn't have a down on the human body. It's not like the great religions, which will come later. And then about 500 BC and then so on, you get this turn. And I think it's coming because people are, are having for the first time this, what I now call a deep awake state. They're waking up to something beyond the soul. They're waking up to the deep mystical truth, that potentiality we talked about right at the beginning that everything's coming from. 
We are that. Mm. What else could we be? So we're this formless potentiality arising as everything. And that's where you get the depths of Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and all of these mystical traditions talking about waking up to the formless. Mm. Now, once you get that waking up to the formless, it's very easy. And I've had this myself on my own spiritual journey. You may have had it too. You wake up to this formlessness and there's this incredible oneness and love which arises because you find you're one with everything. And then you come out of it. And it's very easy to blame the separateness. So now Tim's the problem because he pulled me out of it. There's an ego that's in the way. I'm cursed to be in this human suffering. And I think that's where that comes from. And it's just an evolutionary step. And I disagree with it only because I think because of them, we can now move on. I'm grateful to them because now we can go, oh, turns out that Tim and the body and the evil isn't actually in the way. It's the very evolutionary process through which it's all happening. So we don't have to fight the ego or fight the body or fight our humanity. We have to embrace it, build on it, and wake up to something which transcends it, to continue the evolutionary journey through it, not by attacking it or demeaning it. And we don't need, and the reason that life is, is hard, and God knows it is hard a lot of the time, is because it's an evolutionary process. So it's full of all the lower levels. I have to live with physics, whether I like it or not. I have to live with biology. I have to live with illness. I have to live with all the needs of my body. I have to live with all of these things, which are lower levels of evolution, which are still there. But through them, I'm having this experience of soul, where I'm connecting with you in this non-material, non-local realm of ideas. And mm. I can do that because of all of these lower levels. So I need to embrace them and be grateful for them, not diminish them or destroy them or think that they're a problem. So that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for clarifying that. And yeah, I'm very grateful for Plato as you are. <laughs> you know, it's not like we can throw everything out that came before us. But at the same time, we can learn to integrate kind of the previous philosophers insights into our current. I tell you what it's like, Jess, and it seems obvious to me now. Mm -hmm. It feels like, look, modern science built on the work of people like Aristotle. But Aristotle was wrong about just about everything. But without his work, we couldn't have had modern science. So it's like, it's, everything's like that. We stand on the shoulders of giants, as Newton said. We need to be grateful and then keep moving on, keep evolving, bring our wisdom to it now in the light of, because everything's evolving, because we are evolving, we should expect spirituality to evolve. Totally. And I love what you said, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, like Newton said, you are such a badass because you're like the modern day Aristotle in a way. You're saying like, you know what, this is what I found. This is my exploration. It doesn't mean it's going to be proven right in 100 years, but this is what I know to be true now. And it's almost like yeah. you're giving permission to the rest of humanity to put these training wheels on to access this level of wisdom that you've integrated into your life. And you're telling everyone, it's okay. Keep wearing these training wheels. We've got this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I quite like the idea of being a badass Aristotle. That sounded fun. No one's ever called me that before. <laughs> but yeah, essentially what you're saying is exactly right, Jessica. It's like, look, something amazing is happening to us. We're alive. We've discovered we're in a process been going on for at least 13.8 billion years in our universe. God knows about universes before. We are part of that. We are that. And we are making another evolutionary jump ourselves. That's what I think is happening. And that evolutionary jump is actually the one that was set up when I said, look, 500 years BC is a general age where it's thought to have begun. You can see this change. 
I think what's happening there is the beginning of people waking up to oneness, this deep sense of, ah, we are the universe. That is happening far more now. And I think this is the next evolutionary jump. The phrase I've coined because I felt it needed a name was I think we are changing, we're evolving from individuals into univigils, which are individuals conscious of unity. That's the jump I think we're going to be making over this next period. And you doing what you're doing and I'm doing what I'm doing, I think, and lots of what's going on actually is about making that transition. Wow, that is really profound work. And it really comes down to exploration, really using your life as an experiential tool to be able to access this type of wisdom. And it's fascinating because once you start waking up to this truth, this formless way of being and existing into this world, you can kind of test it and say, hey, universe, does this work? And then see if it resonates. And if it does, you're like, okay, well, wow, there's something here. And can you give examples in real practical ways of how people can incorporate this lucid type of living into their day-to-day, quote-unquote, practical life, where I guess the question is seeing those two as separate, but I guess the answer needs to be how we can integrate those two different worlds into one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about, I'm a what I call a paralogical thinker or a both-and thinker. I want head and heart. I want science and spirituality. I want both-and. I'm greedy, essentially. I, you know, it just feels like, you know, I can't just have, well, I have one when you can have both. And, <laughs> totally. I'm the same. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we have got both. So, hurrah. So half of my work, or one pole of it, if you like, is understanding, which is the philosophy we've been talking about, just talking on the edges of it, really. But the other half of my work is experiential, because it's about actually experiencing this individuality, this oneness, this enormous love that arises with this state of being what I call deep awake. So an awful lot of what I do is very practical. And I love that. I love getting together with people. I have had the privilege over the last 20, 30 years of being with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I've lost count. I mean, thousands probably. Taking them into these deep awake states. And the key for me has been two things, I would say. Firstly, the both and with the, our humanity, this vulnerable humanity that I've already talked about. So don't push it away. Actually embrace it. Don't expect to be perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, I'm guessing, because you're on an evolutionary journey like me. So, you know, here I am. I'm Tim. I'm going to speak to you for an hour. Hopefully, I'm going to be interesting. We're going to have fun. But if you have to live with me like I did, you'd see other things about me which are not so attractive like I do. And that's the way it is because I'm evolving. All right, let's get used to that. And now from that, let's wake up to this deeper state of oneness. So we don't have to be perfect to wake up to oneness. We really don't. Anyone can do it. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, because we're actually seeing there is one of us here, as well as many of us, not in, it's not one or the other, it's both, but there is a deeper level in which there's one of us, it's great to do it through connecting with each other very deeply. So one of the things which I've been doing now for 20 years is very deep forms of gazing, which when I started was like pretty weird, but now is really not so weird. Lots of people have now done it. But what you can do it through, it's not just gazing, you can do it in lots of ways, but by connecting deeply, you can see these depths in each other. So there's a place where you can look in someone's eyes and you can see their eyes, their face, which is their body. And that's pretty amazing. Then you can go, oh, look, I'm looking in somebody's eyes and I'm connecting actually with their soul. Like I'm connecting with your soul now. We're not doing it through looking, we're doing it through listening, but we're doing it when I'm looking at something I can't see. Just like right now, I'm connecting with you. I'm listening to something I can't hear. I'm connecting with this other non-material realm of soul. That's what I'm doing. 
And we're doing that when we gaze or when we listen. And then there's a really deep place you can go to where you go, oh, this is the universe looking at itself. Or as we are here, this is the universe talking to itself. And that's where the individuality really kicks in. And, and one of the things that I do with people is I go very deeply into that in a really beautiful way. And then the top of your head comes off. And the next thing you know, the universe is just pulsating with love. And you're in a completely different relationship with everything and everyone. But wow. you can do it. Any, you can do it anytime. Definitely. So your workshops, they help you kind of tap into this unified state of consciousness that is everywhere at all times. It's just a different level of vibration that we're not taught. I wasn't taught this in school. <laughs> I don't know about you or my <laughs> listeners, but I would have certainly loved to be taught this at a really young age because it really defies logic. And it really is just this beautiful, mystical experience where we are deep awake as you describe it. And why do you think that society doesn't want us to know about this state? I don't think it doesn't want it to know, Jessica. I just don't think it's evolved enough yet. I don't think there's enough people who recognize this. So it's seen as strange or oddball. And because spirituality isn't really very intellectually robust, it's quite easy to look at it and go, oh, looks a lot of nonsense. And so it's easy to dismiss. And because hard-nosed science in its reductionist form has provided us with the internet and airplanes and everything else you could want, it's very easy to go, well, that must be real and this must be nonsense. So part of my mission really is to go, look, this isn't nonsense. We can have an intellectually robust way of understanding this and then we can let this thing in. And I end my TED talk, as you, you've seen, by making a daring, I guess, prediction, which is I think a new paradigm is coming and my work attempt to contribute to that. And I think it's going to be as big a shift as the coming of science 300 years ago. The idea that we've arrived and it's over, that's nonsense. Of course it's nonsense. And the thing that's coming will not be just more of what came before. It'll be a massive jump, just like happened with the arriving of science. And I think what it's going to do is it's going to make us understand, oh, it's going to return us to the thing which our ancestors began exploring to begin with, with early shamanism, to looking at the soul, the whole non-material realm, the way, the nature of the soul, the immortality of the soul, the way that the soul can wake up to this deep state of oneness. These things which spirituality has been talking about for centuries will, I think, become central to a mainstream understanding of what life is. And then these things will be taught in school. How soon that will happen, I don't know, but I'd be very surprised if it doesn't happen because it seems that evolution moves on and that seems to be clearly the direction it's moving in. Mm. And one of the things that makes you a clear pioneer in this realm is the fact that your speech is seen as controversial. But the difference with your TEDx talk is that you were looking for a rational way of seeing things that are in line with science. You're making suggestions, yet it's still being flagged. And, you know, since I last looked, there was no response from TED. And it reminds me, you know, like one of my favorite books is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And a lot of the books that he read at the time couldn't be published at the time for fear of retribution. So when you look back in history, you're like, okay, badass leaders have done this before. You're bringing a new level of awareness into the consciousness of humanity. So obviously, people are going to be either triggered or not really understand what you're bringing to the proverbial table here. But I think that makes your work that much more powerful and these types of conversations that much more interesting because it's tapping into this mystical level while still being grounded and based in quote unquote reality or practicality. Yeah, I do hope so. And it was funny that Ted, which was so into new ideas, clearly didn't understand a word I was saying and just dismissed it out of hand because it looked like anyway as kind of like, well, this is not mainstream. But of course it's not mainstream. 
and as a philosopher, I think I'm, I have every right to not be mainstream. And as you said, the, the new always comes from the outside. And the difficulty I have, and I'm just frank with you, Jessica, oh. which I try to be, okay. uh, the difficulty I have is that, that in trying to bring something new in is that scientists often see it as far too spiritual and spiritual people see it as far too rational. So trying to bring these two things together does require both to change. And that means that you end up in a kind of isolated little island in the middle trying to present a different alternative. And that's why it's great to be able to speak with people like you and actually articulate it because there is a, people tend to hear what they think you're saying. And if you're trying to see something new, it takes a while before people can actually even hear what it is. And that's my job is to keep trying to say it clearer, keep getting it clearer, find new ways to say it. And then also back it up, like I said, the other side of my work with experience, because there's no need, if someone's not experienced the deep awake state, then it sounds like nonsense. Once you've experienced it, it's the most real thing you've ever experienced. Now you need to explain it. Now you need to be able to put it within your worldview. So a big part of the job is also to keep giving people that direct experience of this enormous oneness and love so they know it's real, so they know it's not just wishful thinking. Totally. Some sort of That's kind of how I like to live. It's experiential. And it's like, wow, I've had this mystical experience. And I can't quite talk to people who haven't had that experience because they don't get it. But at the same time, I don't want to remain up in the clouds on top of a mountain thinking that I shouldn't integrate this into the world because that's also a fallacy. So it's really mind-blowing that your work presents that delicate dance between the two realms. And even that is controversial because I find that for me personally, I actually wrote about this in an article tying it into the concept of spiral dynamics because I'm an intellectual too. I'm really spiritual, but then I intellectualize my experiences. And I found this concept of spiral dynamics which yeah. kind of made me see which kind of layer on the color, quote unquote, totem pole that we all exist. And it's fascinating. And once I kind of saw this experience through that colored lens, where the very bottom of the spiral dynamic is beige, and it's kind of the survivalist mode where a lot of people exist, where they don't have time to tap into these larger potentialities because they are just busy putting food on the table and living and surviving day to day life. And then once you kind of keep moving up on these different levels of spiral dynamics, you're able to see the world through different lenses and resonate with different people and find your tribe. For instance, there's the green, which is the we are all one. And then that's kind of the spiritual side of things, which involves the yogis. And as much as I love that group and that mentality and lens of thinking, when you actually transcend that, there's another layer. And then there's another layer. And I think it goes two or three more above that. And then at the very top, there's this teal, or I forget what the top color is, but it's kind of seeing through and experiencing all of those layers, but not intellectualizing it and being fully united with the experience of love while experiencing all of your former layers of yourself. Are you yeah, familiar I mean, with I, this concept? <laughs> yeah, spiral dynamics is a really amazing system. I mean, Ken Wilber, who's a big advocate of it, I just did a dialogue with him, a filmed dialogue. I've done also one with Jeff Salzman, which will come out later. And what I love about their system is the way in which is Ken's phrase, transcend and include, mm -hmm. that you need to move forward and then include what's been before. And I see what I'm doing is very integral, which is their teal is the latest, the next thing. It takes guts to bring this new way of seeing and embodying life through this lens. How do you find the guts to do it, you know, in a world where 
people may not be ready for it. Well, the honest truth, once more, <laughs> second time I've Let's said that, it. isn't it? Yeah. Is if sometimes I don't, you know, it's hard. That's the truth, is that, you know, I get a lot of support and I'm very moved by this. So it moves within me. But I would say on a regular basis over the last period of many 10 years, 20 years, there's times when you just think, wow, this is just too much. And it would be so much easier to do something which fitted in. But for some reason, I'm compelled to do this. And I'm just doing my best to move on. And one of the things about having an, this, I became a philosopher and a writer in order to make my own journey as deeply as I could. And what I've done is that. So, you know, I'm now already adding to my previous book. There's some things in it which I'm, I think I could say better. If I look back two or three books, there's a lot of things I said, which I think maybe even, I might even say are wrong. And my understanding is constantly moving forward. I use doubt on my own ideas every day, every single day. And that's what is exciting because that's what leads to new insight. So, you know, if you want to get something new into the world, it's much easier if you've got something old and you can just keep repeating it. It's much more of a challenge. And it is a challenge. It really is. But it's an exciting challenge. So I feel blessed by the challenge. Sometimes. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> but then often I do. Tell me a little bit about some of the experiences that you have. I know in your TEDx talk, you talk about the story with the book falling off the shelf. Tell me more about those experiences of synchronicities. Do you experience them regularly every day? And then how does that evolve your work in the world? That's really interesting. There's been periods, I, I think this is quite common, where it's become particularly intense. What's really interesting is that I think back to my beginning of my journey when I was in my teens, when I, I had my waking up when I was 12. And so the period after that up into my early 20s, I could probably tell you each event that happened. So, oh, this happened and this happened. And then at a certain point, there became so many that it just became like, oh, that's part of life. And then at another certain point, I realized they didn't always sig signify anything. They were kind of part of the very fabric of existence and that sometimes they were just funny. Sometimes they seemed to have a message. I went through a phase of thinking the universe was giving me messages. And then it felt like, I'm not sure that's true. or I'm not sure that's always true. Sometimes maybe. Sometimes it's just a natural function. And where I've ended up with all of it is to return to the, the ideas we were talking about before is the universe has gone from matter to this realm of soul or psyche, which is a non-material realm, which is defined by meaning. And part of meaning is story or narrative. So right now we're weaving stories and narratives and I'm a story and you're a story. You know, you've just asked about the story of Tim, what things have happened to you in your story. That's because we are stories. And what I'm playing with is that this level of reality is a narrative level so that, and we experience that every day actually, but we experience it very dramatically in dreams where the psyche weaves a story for us in which we experience something amazing. And from the psyche, of course, we, we weave infinite stories at the moment, you know, the, the, the amount of story which has been created with Netflix and movies and TV and, and oh my God, so in the internet and it's, we're immersed in story. And, and I think the reason is because the universe has evolved into a story. Now that is such a big jump for people used to the idea of the universe is a physical thing and that's what it is. What I'm saying is the universe isn't that actually. The universe is evolving information which exists on many different levels. 
One of the levels it involves exists on is a physical level. Another level is a biological level. And another level is this level of soul or story. And it's all information. It's all interacting with it, with each other. But that actually, not that we tell stories about the universe, but the universe has turned into the story of us so that we live in this narrative world. And that's affecting what happens to us in the biological and physical worlds. It's not just a story. Some of it's just cause and effect. But story is also part of it. So that what happens in those experiences of synchronicity, which the more awake you become, the more they happen, I think, mm-hmm. is that you're kind of living in a dream and you're living in a, in a cause and effect universe at the same time. And they're interacting with each other. And then if I look at what I'm actually experiencing right now, Jessica, I think, well, that's obvious, isn't it? I'm living in a cause and effect universe where if I drop my pen, it's going to fall. And I'm living in this dream world where I'm communicating ideas to you which have no physical existence. And we're talking about synchronicities and the universe and everything. And those two are happening at exactly the same time. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, and listening to you talk about this, you know, I'm kind of trying to reframe the stories that have made up my existence and tell me if this mm-hmm. is kind of what you're getting at. You know, mm-hmm. I often exist in this, you know, luminous state of existence and I have these deep, profound dreams. And some of the dreams I wake up from and I'm like, wait, that makes so much sense in my dream. Why can't I integrate that? So, for example, a few months ago, I was in a really deep healing, resetting period of my life. And I had this dream where I was in the standing on the beach and I was really angry, really angry. And all of a sudden there was this huge tidal wave. The clouds came over me and there was thunder and lightning and there was just huge tidal waves and just really rough waves. And then I was like, wait, my emotions shifted my reality. And then I could tell I was dreaming. So I was like, I'm going to shift my emotion. And in my dream, through the power of this lucid dream that I had, I shifted my emotion and I became happy. And all of a sudden I looked out and the waves got so calm. The sun started shining, the birds started chirping. (laughs) And I just looked around and I was like, I created that. (laughs) And I woke up from my dream and I was like, it's that easy. Like your emotions can shift your reality, which then shifts your life. And I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about, but that's just an experience of like a pretty lucid dream that I had that I woke up from that was like, I just need to integrate that Mm -hmm. deep wisdom into my everyday life to really tap into synchronicities and what we're talking about. Is that kind of similar? Yeah. So beautiful dream. And what you saw in the dream was, oh, look, in this realm of the imagination, I can just shift it, like just, just shift it. And you did. Then there's our lives, and then our lives are are not just the imagination. They're also all the other levels of evolution, but they are also the imagination. And this is what I call narrativity. And and I've come to think that there's a narrative element to the, the way reality works, just like there's gravity on the level of physics. There's narrativity on the level of soul. And they're all interacting with each other. So the mistake which I think reductionist science makes is it tries to reduce all the higher levels to the lower levels so it misses out all of that because it why well it's reduced it all to to physicality so if you reduce it you will lose all the meaning and all the narrative then on the other hand what spirituality does especially in its kind of modern american form is it goes it's all narrative you can create your own reality you can just believe it it will happen 
And you know what? Sometimes that works. And I've got examples, and I'm happy to share some with you, which are extraordinary, extraordinary examples of that happening. But sometimes, now what happens with those theories, like the secret and all those things, is it then becomes like, it's an absolute theory. Oh, oh, so this is the one thing that's where it's all narrative. You create it. And if you fail to create it, it's your fault. It's some hidden thing in you. It's your unconscious desire for the opposite or, you know, something. What I'm suggesting is that's actually completely wrong, that what's happening is that there's an ecology of story, just like there's an ecology of nature. So there's all these different stories and not all of them can possibly be fulfilled. Every athlete that ever runs a race always imagines that they're going to be the winner, but only one of them will be. And that's of necessity in the nature of the race. So it's not as simple as this kind of more Americanized spirituality sees it kind of new thought spirituality but there's something in there which is really important what the ancients called magic the way in which our intentions and our dreams and our visions actually affect the narrative of what happens in our life and what we need to do is work out the relationship between these different levels of reality which are all interacting and not just one of them but all of them and see this spectrum of evolutionary spectrum as one thing Hmm. So true, because, you know, there are some levels of woo-woo out there that are pretty, you know, I I can dare say it, like they are attractive, you know, and they seem harmless. But at the same time, you know, you look back and you're like, how did I ever believe such a silly, like the things that people say out loud and repeat is just ridiculous. And I think it's a necessary part of the journey, though, to go through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been through it. And the reason I'm critical of things is usually things I've, I've believed myself or been through at some <laughs> part of my journey. Me but you're both, right. When yeah. you look back, <laughs> mm-hmm. there is so many of the things are ill thought through. And it only takes a moment. But that goes right back. It's not, it's not, it's not modern spirituality. That's ancient spirituality the same. It, it, a lot of it is very Ill, badly thought through and not questioned enough, not doubted enough. And also, we need to actually open our hearts and evolve that i think most people have got that idea we need to become more loving but we need to also clarify the way in which we think and that requires doubt and not so good at that a lot of people not so good at that so a lot of people believe what they think is attractive so it's more like choosing a set of clothes oh i quite fancy that i'll I'll wear that hat with this and that pink looks good on me and it's like beliefs are like that you you take something which kind of feels like oh i'm that sort of person that kind of suits me nothing wrong with that in per se it's just got nothing to do with truth it's mm. that's that's something else completely and if if we're really going to move on if we're going to play if you want to play a role in the next level of evolution that's just no good that's just really just playing in the shallows that's not going to do it so you know it's fine i don't want to criticize people who are enjoying that but i do want us to move on culturally to something far, far deeper um, if we're going to make this next evolutionary jump, which I think we will. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's so important to be able to kind of let go of all of that silly spirituality. It's, you know, this is a deeper journey. This is actually grounded in something that, you know, you can actually experience and take into your life and really integrate into your soul in a deep way. And in a way, it's, you know, as you were saying before, it's like the internet is this, these ideas that we integrate into who we are. And, and I love the idea that, you know, the internet is an extension kind of of our nervous system, you know, and then we're integrating what we hear through this podcast into our ears, into our lives. And that's how I've evolved personally over the years is 
listening sure. to people, you know, who have had podcasts that talk about this stuff that I've learned to integrate into my life. So people like you, your TED Talk is out there in the world. People are hearing what you're saying, watching you speak. You're a human being on this planet experiencing life in a different way. And people are resonating with that. And some people aren't. <laughs> but the people that do resonate are going to take off with your work and explore in new and profound ways. So thank you for that. You know, my response to this incredible mystery that we're in, Jessica, and, and a deep feeling, the honest truth is we've been talking a lot of philosophy tonight, which has been a delight. I'm glad that you you have that intellectual bent as well, because it's, it's lovely to be able to share it. But the other side of it is, you know, and I make this confession in the middle of my book, Soul Story, is that really it's a, what I'm trying to shore up with some solid ideas that can take the strain, which are you know, strong. What I'm trying to shore up is some insights, which are in fact very childlike, which arise for me and, and did from my very first awakening. And, they, and they're still there in the deep awake state. And I think the way that I put it in the book is, what I want to say is, despite all the suffering, and God knows there's enough of it, but despite all of that, fundamentally, in the deep wake state, the intuition which arises for me is that life is good, death is safe, and what really matters is love. And in itself, it sounds like, that sounds like the most I've been criticizing you know, fluffy spirituality. Well, that sounds like complete fluff. And yet the experience of it for me is that, no, this is the deepest truth. So how can that be the deepest truth? And this philosophy, which I now call univigilism, because it leads to our discovering of our individuality, this philosophy, this evolutionary philosophy, is about bringing science and spirituality together to shore up those sentiments so that when you get it, you go, oh, yeah, turns out fundamentally life is good. And actually, because the soul is immortal, death is safe. And once you get the, where we're going on the next jump, what really matters is love. That's absolutely right. And it's not fluffy at all. It's a very deep and resonant, and it can be understood in a solid philosophical way. Yeah, it, because it is about this communion of souls, of our psyches. And when we come into this communion of our psyches, we're forming a transcendent level of being. And it's a conscious one. It's love. It's unity. It's all of these amazing emotions that we can have. I mean, I'm experiencing it right now. <laughs> I'm not in my head. I'm like in my body with you right now. And it feels amazing. Like... <laughs> Very good. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. And it does come with the communion. When we reach a deep communion with each other, something greater than us arrives. And that, I think, is this new jump into individuality, is that when we come into deep communion with each other, which is why my experiential work is all about bringing us into deep communion, something greater than ourselves arrives. And there's a precursor from that that goes right back to the heart of Western culture 2,000 years ago with the New Testament idea of, you know, where two or more are gathered together. It's like something greater happens when we come together in this spirit of connection, of unity. And that's the next jump. It's been bubbling away for a very long time. But now it's really showing up. And, and you know, despite, again, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world. Of course there is. My God, you know, there's always problems in the world and we've got some new ones and they're big. But also, we've come so far. We're doing so well. And we've conquered such mountains. I mean, the mere fact that you're a woman and I'm a man and we're talking as equals, that's a new phenomena. That historically speaking, that's outrageous. And yet, I, you know, I take it for granted. And how wonderful. And a million things like that. 
the fact that that human beings care lots of them care about other human beings on the other side of the planet in other cultures they'll never ever meet who happen to be having a hard time through war or through famine or they genuinely care and that's a new phenomena people in the past didn't care about their neighbors they they took things from their neighbors they warred with their neighbors that's how human beings got by for centuries most of history that's changed we care about the natural world we care about species who are in trouble, like polar bears or tigers. The polar bears or tigers would tear us to pieces if we showed up. They're not, they're not going to care about us, but we care about them. Cross-species compassion, that's a whole new phenomena. That's amazing. Mm. These, are, these, are, these are huge jumps in compassion. The level of compassion in our culture is way, way, way bigger than it's ever been throughout history. And we need to really see that. And then underneath bubbling under much smaller but still significant more and more people know what it means to experience unity consciousness so when i go out and you know 20 years ago when i talked about non-duality and and the idea that we're all one people thought it was abstract or didn't see what it meant or it wasn't relevant now most people at least know what i'm talking about many people have had some sort of experience of it and those that haven't want one these are huge historical developments Totally. And when you were describing the polar bears, I was reminded again of another dream. And people don't just meet and start talking about their dreams, but I'm always talking about my <laughs> dreams and telling random strangers <laughs> about my dreams. And it reminded me of this dream that I was in Africa with my miniature dachshund. I have a little miniature dachshund named Karma. And we were playing with a lion in this beautiful, beautiful jungle and it was just the most deep vivid experience of life and it defied all logic because number one my dog doesn't like to fly so how could we get to Africa in the first place <laughs> number two this lion there was zero fear in my body and I just was so at one with this lion and karma was just loving playing with this like mystical magical creature of a lion and we were all just frolicking together and it was just like this most profound love in unity all coming together, which I experience in my dreams on a regular basis. <laughs> so it's Your dreams are a good place to be. I like the sound of that. Yeah. And I wake up and I'm like, wow, that's nothing like the reality is nothing quite like that. But I catch glimpses of it in my dreams that Wonderful. I find is a real state of presence and awareness that people like you and through these conversations that we are shining a light on and saying, you know what, yeah. we are able to access this level of love and unity in each moment. Yeah, it's there. You know, attention isn't always on it. And sometimes it's, it's hard to find. But like everything, the more you get to know it, the easier it becomes to find it. And okay. then once you know, it's there all the time, you can you can put your attention there when you have the opportunity or when you need to. And it fundamentally changes everything totally. because because we really are the universe. And my feeling just is, what else could we be? Of course we're the universe. The universe is individuated. We are the Big Bang. What else could we be? We are the thing that gave birth to itself and is realizing itself. And here we are. We are here, at least on our little planet. Who knows what's happening elsewhere? But on our planet, we are right at the leading edge of this evolutionary process. And that's our lives. That's this moment that we've got. What greater meaning could there be? It's like when people talk about the purpose of life, it feels like, look, purpose is built into what existence is. 
because existence is the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels. So that's its purpose, and that's what our purpose is. And I exist and you exist on this level of soul, on this non-material level of dreams and images and stories, and we're doing it on that level. You know, my body's not evolving much. It's not evolving at all, actually. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's like it's just being a body now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, bodies are still evolving, but slowly. Mm -hmm. But on the level of soul, it's moving like unbelievably fast. We're doing it now, just in this conversation with each other. And billions of us are doing it. And so we're, I mean, the world that I live in is a completely different one to the one I was born in because of it. We live in the imagination now. I'm surrounded here. I'm sitting in my office in Glastonbury in England, and I could not see a single thing which has not been through somebody's imagination. Hmm. Everything. I love I'm it. Surrounded by it. Everything. Yeah. I live inside the imagination. We've <laughs> brought the imagination into reality. We've brought the soul into the other realm. Mm -hmm. Totally. One of the last questions I want to ask you actually pertains to this in a roundabout way. You know, when we get information, we're bringing it into our nervous system, our brain, our wiring. And one of the things that really stood out to me in one of your books, Soul Story, it starts by explaining that you've adopted a minimalist style of presentation, which means that there are no full stops or capital letters. This is something, as a writer, I love because I always did not, but I've always loathed using capital letters. And I've never really met someone else who is another writer who have actually used lowercase throughout an entire book. <laughs> so you've kind of demonstrated this way of thinking, this flow state in a way throughout your entire book, which shows how you embody this experience of living. So can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I can just remembering my publishers who were very supportive and wonderful, their sense of horror when I went, oh, and by the way, there's going to be no capital letters or full stops. Like, <laughs> what? You can't do that. For me, the reason I didn't want to do it was because I wanted to write this, as you said, a minimalist book where all the ideas were as clear as they could be. All the fat was cut away. I get very frustrated with books. I'm a, I'm a bit of an impatient. And so I'm like, where's the big idea? Come on, just tell me the idea. I don't want to hear all this stuff. Just tell me the idea. So what I tried to do with this is just everything is it's trying to every single line is trying to say something which needs to be said in to explain the, the overall narrative I want to explore. And when I'd done that, I'd found that there was so it was so dense that I wanted to slow everyone down and make it more like drops of little drops of water, like ding, ding. And so I broke up all the lines. And once I did that, I thought, why have I got, why do I keep changing font? Why do I suddenly go to a full, a, a capital font? Why do I do that? Well, I do that to signify a new sentence. Well, I also got a full stop to signify a new sentence. So I, I've got these two ciphers, and actually I don't need to use either because it's obvious that new sentences are obvious because of the way I've broken up the text. So it's not like I want to create a whole new way of writing. It was like simply for that book, it just felt like these are unnecessary. So part of what I should do is have the courage to go, I don't need to follow that just because other people have done it before. Amen. <laughs> I, you I, know, it, it. I can be creative with this. Totally. And that, that explains a lot of how I see the language and the communication to a lot of what I put out in the world. If anyone follows me on Instagram, I don't use capital letters often. And that is exactly my thought process. But I've never yeah. truly articulated it in a way that makes any sense 
<laughs> so it's refreshing it, it, to it hear. Feels like, look, if, if they serve a purpose, then use them. If yeah. they don't, don't use anything. And I think that's, I used to be a musician years ago before I was a writer, my first part of my life. And I think it's much easier in other creative arts like music. You know, if someone had, had come to a piece of music I'd written and gone, oh, no, no, you've got to have done it in 4-4 four, four time. You can't have done, do this in 5-4. It'd be like, well, I, of course I can. I can do what I like. It's music. Whereas with writing, publishers actually employ people whose job it is to make sure you follow the rules, who go through your manuscript and go, oh, you didn't follow the rules there. We've changed it for you because you made a mistake. And it's like, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I said what I wanted to say. Yeah. And so I have this rebellious streak in me, which comes from my rock and roll days, I guess, where it just feels like, no, no, no. This is an artistic endeavor to say, to put it across the whole medium it's put across in. I hope this is going to encourage some people to actually go and have a look at the book and see what they think of it and actually see how it works. Because the feedback I've had so far has been overwhelming. Of course, it might be just because people are polite to me, but the, the feedback has been, oh, at first it felt disorientating, which I hoped it would be. And then I settled into it and it, I loved it. And then you and it kind of has a beautiful clarity to it when you look at it, which reflects the clarity of the ideas. And that feels like really exciting. Why not make it beautiful as well? Make the ideas beautiful, make the form beautiful, make the whole book beautiful. I think Picasso said it best, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. So, <laughs> Who said that? Picasso. Did he say yeah, that? Yeah, I'm fantastic. pretty sure it was Picasso that said that. That's one of my favorite quotes. I love that. I yeah, love that. Because, you know, it's not like we don't know the rules. We obviously learn the rules, but we want to yeah. break them like artists. And you've done yeah, that. Yeah, so you need to know why they're there. In, and this is applying with everything. You yeah. know, you can even take in you know, part of the evolutionary theory when I said about, look, the past accumulates early on in our conversation. It's not just accumulating. It's affecting the, the present there's something I call pastivity. It's like the, the, the past has got a weight. The past has a weight to it, if you will, or it, the past makes things repeat. So the reason that, that things are still the same as they were a moment ago, largely, is because the past repeats. And that's a blessing, actually, because it's a good thing that stays that things stay mainly the same. We need to have some a, foundation of truth. <laughs> we do. And if, if it wasn't for the past repeating and, and, and us understanding that, the habits that we have, that everything is like a habit, we wouldn't understand these funny noises we're making to each other. It's because we understand these funny noises have significance <laughs> because we've used them in the past. Mm -hmm. And so that's all good. But of course, there's a negative side, isn't there, to, to habit and the negative side to things just repeating, which means we also need to be creative. And so being able to understand when the past is serving us and then when to be creative and when to step in and go, no, let's turn it upside down. Let's revolutionize this. Let's move this on. And to do that in a healthy way, you really need to understand the past. Amen. And then you need to be willing to change it. Love it. So important. Here's to breaking the rules like an artist and really catalyzing the next paradigm for humanity. Love your work, Tim. Where can we find you online? Uh, well, I've got a very funny name. It's pronounced Freak, but it's spelled F-R-E-K-E. So if you Google me at Tim Freak, you'll find me. Of course, I've got a website, timfreak.com. I've got a great um, YouTube channel, Facebook, all the rest of it. And there's lots and lots and lots. I try to put out a lot of free stuff. So if people want to stay in touch with me, best thing to do is get on my newsletter on my website. And then you can see that uh, I'm putting out a new video just about every week, uh, discussing these ideas, putting out new ideas. And it's just great to be in touch. Thank you so much for joining me, Tim. It's been a real pleasure. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Thank you. You made it to the end of this podcast. This means the world to me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
Feel free to hop on over to my podcast website, artofhumanity.io, for show notes or past interviews. You can also message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Jessica Ann, and my handle is beingishuman. That's B-E-I-N-G-I-S-H-U-M-A-N. I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you've enjoyed from this episode. If you really love this podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on Apple Podcasts right now and left a review. It helps way more than you know. You can also share this episode with two of your friends who you think would enjoy it. Let's get the Art of Humanity movement going. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Listen, explore, evolve.